Luke, the physician, writes a record of the early church called the Acts of the Apostles. He tells his friend Theophilus how Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many convincing proofs. Christianity is an intelligent faith based upon reasonable evidence or many infallible proofs, as the Old King James translation says. I'm not talking about scientific proof, nor is Luke. But don't be alarmed, science is not the only way to prove something. Remember, the burden of proof in a court of law is beyond a reasonable doubt. Based on his detailed investigation, Dr. Luke says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is believable beyond a reasonable doubt. Do you believe? I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. You don't have to be a pastor or an evangelist to be a witness for Christ. Hello, welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. I'm Brian Davis, always glad to have you with us. Are you comfortable sharing your faith? or does it make you a little uneasy? Today, Ron reminds us that we've not only been called to be witnesses for Christ, we've been equipped to fulfill that calling. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get yours. From his teaching series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles, Here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, Jesus the Revolutionary. Uh, the Holy Spirit fell upon people in particular places and times in the Old Testament. And Jesus was with his disciples, but he had to ascend to the Father so the Holy Spirit would come to be in the disciples. And so that they could connect and activate, as it were, the power of God, not only to live this thing called the Christian life, but to carry out the bold mission that we'll talk about in just a moment. Now, there's a whole lot of theology that we can get into in the Holy Spirit, and I don't have time to go into it this morning. We will in, in coming days. But just understand this. There are two baptisms in the Bible. One is water baptism. The other is spirit baptism. They both have to do with identification. In water baptism, we're identified with the death the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples, and the first thing you do is you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You, you encourage that disciple to go public with their faith and as a picture to identify with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrated the power of God, it was the coming of the Holy Spirit that delivered the power of God to the early church. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is one of many ministries of the Holy Spirit, happens at the moment of salvation, when by faith, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of you. You're baptized or identified this time with the body of Christ. And the question is, do you have the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. He came to live inside of you at the moment of salvation. And guess what? You got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. 
He is the earnest money deposit on our faith. That's called the baptism of the Spirit. Now, it's different than something called the filling of the Spirit. The Bible never commands us to be baptized in the Spirit. You know that? It just happens at the moment of salvation. But Ephesians chapter 5 tells us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a command. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit has to do with content, do you have the Holy Spirit? The filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with control. Does the Holy Spirit have you? It's not just that He's resident in our life, He's president of our life. And let me just say it again, we will never successfully live this thing called the Christian life, let alone fulfill and achieve the revolution that Jesus envisioned this church to be apart from the enabling resources of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament warns us against grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit, resisting the Holy Spirit. You can have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have you. It's about yielding to Him, letting Him control your thoughts, your words, your responses, uh, saying, Lord Jesus, I can't live this thing called the Christian life. It's impossible to live, but live it through me, through the resources that you've given to me called the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, answering this call to action not only has to do with being confident and sure of the claims of Jesus Christ, starting with His resurrection, but also then connecting to the power source that is in us as believers in Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus said when he says, you know, John baptized with water, <laughs> but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he says, you will receive power, dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamite, the capacity to live the Christian life. Uh, the power, the, the dunamis to fulfill the mission comes through the Holy Spirit. And there's a whole lot more that we could talk about there, but i got to move on. Here's a third call to action, and that is to commit to the bold mission of the church. Let's pick it up in the middle of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 and read on. Jesus says, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then he goes on to say, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, they wanted to talk to Jesus about prophecy and about the Father's time and the seasons and is this the time for the kingdom to come? And Jesus says, listen, it's not for you to know all of that. What you need to know is, first of all, you're going to have to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then when you have the power, then you fulfill the bold mission. I remember when I was in seminary, one of the first courses that I took was called Hermeneutics and Bible Study Methods. It doesn't sound like it, but it was a life-changing course to take, one of the first courses you take at uh, Dallas Seminary. And I had the privilege of studying under a legendary professor named Dr. Howard Hendricks. And um, Dr. Hendricks you know, taught us how to study the Bible, and he used a process of observation, interpretation, application, and correlation to a worldview. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply? How does it shape your worldview? And I remember after taking the course, I said to myself, oh, that's how they do it. 
all right? <laughs> we have a course here that we teach in the Shores Bible Institute called How to Study the Bible for Yourself, and it takes you through that process. You take that course, you're going to say, oh, that's how the pastor does it, okay? Starts with observation. What does it say? And I remember the first assignment he gave to us, he always gave the assignments at the beginning of the class, uh, which got you to class on time, because if you didn't get the assignment at the beginning of class, you were on your own to get it for the next class. So we were always there at the beginning. And one of the first assignments as he was teaching us how to observe the text of Scripture, what does it say? He says, here's an assignment on Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. I want you to find 25 observations. Make 25 observations on this verse and bring them with you to class next time. And we're like, wow, 25 observations in this tiny little verse? So we go home. I, I struggled to make 25 observations on one verse of Scripture. And we come back the next time, and he collects all the assignments. He says, well, how'd you do? And you could hear these collective groans across this large lecture hall with about 200 students in it. And he says, okay, great. For the next hour, make 25 more observations on Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And we're like, you got to be kidding me. He was teaching us not only the power of observation, but also something about a very important central verse of Scripture to this thing called the mission of the church. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't try to do this in your own strength. And when you receive that power, then you will be my witnesses. Now, one of the observations you make has to do with key terms. So I circled that word witnesses. That was an observation. He, he called us witnesses. Again, a reason that some people think that Luke was responding to an attorney's request for investigative research. He uses this word witness that Theophilus would have connected with, or witnesses. Now, there's always a difference that we need to understand between the spiritual gift of evangelism and being a witness for Jesus. There are some people in the body of Christ who have the gift of evangelism. Uh, that's wonderfully seen in the ministry of Billy Graham, who, you know, crusade, large gathering evangelism, or a guy like Bill Bright with Campus Crusade, one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Not everybody has that gift, that spiritual gift, but all of us have the responsibility to be his witnesses, his witness, to bear witness to what Christ has done in our life. And Luke says that starts in Jerusalem, goes to Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is the bold mission of the church. And always link Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 to Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission, where Jesus told his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to, to you. And then he says, lo, I am with you always. You link Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1, 8, and you'll get a sense of what our mission is, what our call to action is. And, and again, we, we will never fully receive and embrace the revolution of Jesus Christ called his church until we commit to the bold mission of the church. What kind of witness are you for Jesus? You don't, you don't have to be a Billy Graham 
or a Bill Bright. But you know, in your everyday conversations, you're leaving behind some aroma of Jesus. Maybe just with the checkout person at the grocery store who may or may not know that, that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, a conversation with your neighbor, your coworker, in the place of influence that God has given to you. Your Jerusalem and my Jerusalem is my family, my neighborhood, uh, my co-workers. Start there. We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Well, we're living in a very unique time in world history, and we're grateful to see God using Something Good Radio like never before. And as you're able to support the ministry this month, we want to say thank you with a special gift of our own, the complete audio download to the series you're hearing now, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. That's Acts of the Apostles, a 19-message series from Dr. Ron Jones, and for a limited time, our gift to you for your gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. And now let's join Ron for the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Jesus the Revolutionary. Anytime I talk to somebody who wants to go on the mission field, you know, to some exotic place to serve the Lord. You know, I think that's great, that's wonderful, and we need that. My first question is, what kind of witness were you for Jesus in your Jerusalem? You want to go to an exotic place of the world and tell people about Jesus. Did you tell people about Jesus in your own neighborhood? How about your own family, your place of work? That's where it starts, in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Some people see this as Luke's way of giving us an outline for the book of Acts because the book of Acts starts with the church in Jerusalem. By Acts 28, we're in Rome, the far ends of the known world at that time. And here we are 2,000 years later because disciples of Jesus Christ who took the mission of the church, the bold mission of the church seriously and embraced the revolution. Uh, put this into practice. What kind of witness are you? Uh, what kind of witness are we as a church? This is why as a church we say our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who go and make disciples. That's Acts 1 and verse 8. That's Matthew chapter 28 and so forth. So we're talking about responding to a call to action here. And we said it starts by having confidence in the claims of Christ, connecting to the unlimited power of God, uh, committing to the bold mission of the church, and then finally uh, clinging to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Let's finish it up in verses 9 and 10. After Jesus gives them their marching orders, it says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, this scene is known as the ascension of Jesus Christ probably came around day 40 
after his resurrection. He's been appearing in a number of places. He's been talking to the disciples about the kingdom of God, giving them their marching orders again, clarifying any misunderstandings they have about Scripture or any of that, and preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then, while they're standing there on the Mount of Olives, just across the Kidron Valley on the other side of the old city of Jerusalem, he starts ascending into heaven, and the clouds envelop him, and he's gone. <laughs> you can just imagine the disciples sitting there, their heads you know, tilted up like this, and their jaw dropped down to their belly button. Where'd he go? And the Bible says two men, angels, appeared to them and said, why are you guys gawking up into heaven? This same Jesus who left you in the clouds is coming again. You see, friends, embracing the revolution that is this thing called the early church and the church that we are today has something to do with clinging to the promise of His return. We got work to do. This is not time for laziness. It's not time for laissez-faire. It's not time to, you know, kick back and, and retire into… And, and just, it's time. We got work to do. And Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. I talk about clinging to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. You know what imminent means? It could happen at any time. And it's been imminent for 2,000 years. And you say, well, when's he going to come? I don't know. The Bible says a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years to God. So in his mind, a couple days have passed. He's in no hurry, right? And it's not for us to know the day or the hour. And when the disciples even asked Jesus about, is this the time? Is this the season when the Father is going to fulfill the kingdom? Hey, guys, don't worry about that. You got work to do. You got a job to do. And I'm leaving you shortly here, and I want to make sure you have all the resources you need to carry out the mission. And here we are today. Part of what compels me, part of what just gets me up in the morning and gets me excited about fulfilling this bold mission of the church is knowing that any day Jesus could come again. Do you know the next event on God's prophetic calendar is something called the rapture of the church, where we disappear out of this world as believers in Jesus Christ in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. And that sets a seven-year prophetic calendar that culminates in the second coming of Jesus Christ. You can go to Daniel chapter 7, to Matthew chapter 24, to Revelation chapter 19, and read about that exciting event in Bible prophecy known as the second coming of Jesus Christ. And what you find is He comes in the clouds. Because the angel said, this same Jesus who left in the clouds is coming in the clouds. And as He left from the Mount of Olives, Bible prophecy says when he returns, he'll set his feet right back on the Mount of Olives. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, if that doesn't get you out of bed in the morning and say, okay, what do we got to do today, pastor? What do we got to do? What's the mission? What do we got to do? Well, it's real simple. It's real simple. Make disciples of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples, right? That's Matthew chapter 28. That's Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. That's what we got to be busy doing. Paul, writing in the New Testament, says, occupy until he comes. Get busy and be found to be at work fulfilling the bold mission and clinging to the return of Jesus Christ. Let me give you one other incentive here. One of the five crowns or eternal rewards that are mentioned in the New Testament are given to those who love His appearing, who didn't forget what the angels said there. 
He's coming again. And they live every day with that sense of expectation. Time is running out. Today could be the day. Where can I be a witness for Jesus today? And oh, by the way, Holy Spirit, empower me to do that. That's, that's what we're called here to do. And friends, I would just leave you with this question. Is that enough for you to embrace this thing called the revolution of Jesus Christ? Enough for him to revolutionize your heart from the inside out, but also enough for you to embrace a new purpose, a new mission, a new destiny in life. You're sitting here wondering, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I do what I do. I'm building my business and my family, my this, my that. Listen, make, make sure that your sense of mission and purpose and destiny in life has everything to do with this revolution that Jesus started 2,000 years ago when he walked out of that grave and he says, I'm just beginning. And we're part of that beginning. Let's keep it going. Let's make sure it's healthy. Let's make sure that when Jesus returns, he finds us busy about the business of carrying out the mission that he gave his disciples 2,000 years ago. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, Jesus the Revolutionary. Ron, just a moment ago, right at the end of today's message, you mentioned that age-old question, why am I here? What is my purpose? Let's talk a little further about this because these are the kinds of questions all of us have asked ourselves. You're absolutely right, Brian. You know, sooner or later, everyone asks that question. Because what we're ultimately looking for is a sense of fulfillment, a sense of meaning, uh, even a sense of significance in life. Uh, Now, for my money, one of the best places to go is to the book of Ecclesiastes, written by none other than King Solomon. Uh, Here's a guy who had all the bases covered in terms of the things uh, a person uh, thinks might bring meaning and purpose to his life. He had money, he had fame, he had children. He had more wisdom than anyone on earth, and he had more women than you could count. Plus, he was the king of Israel, so he had the vocational component in place as well. Now, Brian, the world suggests that these are the things that give us that sense of meaning that we're looking for, Uh, but Solomon had every last one of them, and he said it's all vanity. It's all meaningless without the one true thing that really does bring purpose and meaning to our lives. The conclusion of the matter, he says, and this is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the conclusion of the matter is to fear God and keep his commandments because that is the whole duty of man. Now, maybe that sounds anticlimactic to some, but if what we're after is the truth, if, if what we're after is the answer to the question of meaning and purpose, well, there it is. Fear God and keep his commandments. If you want joy, if you want a sense of fulfillment in this life, uh, that's how you get it. Now that's the foundational principle for all of us. Uh, The specifics of vocation and family life and those other things will vary from one person to the next, and that's a conversation for another day. But by loving and fearing God and obeying his commandments, we find true fulfillment, true joy, and, and, and we'll find a deeper, more profound sense of purpose than we'll get by pursuing anything else. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great words of wisdom from King Solomon about finding significance here in this life.
Well, coming your way tomorrow, the next message in Dr. Ron Jones' teaching series, A.D., Acts of the Apostles. Ron, tell us what you've got planned for the next two days here on Something Good Radio. Brian, as you know, the book of Acts sort of sums up the birth and growth of the early church, as well as giving us a peek inside the lives of some of the key players, uh, Peter and Paul and all the rest. But behind all of that was an essential ingredient that that needs to be brought to light. The early church was a praying church. In fact, of the 28 chapters in the book of Acts, prayer is mentioned 29 times. That's on average a little bit more than once a chapter uh, we find the early church in prayer. We'll get uh, more into the specifics of how prayer uh, sort of set the foundation for everything the church was doing in the book of Acts and how it still sets the foundation for what the church can and should be doing today. That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, The Power of a Praying Church. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.